they're of the, I don't care if you're going through menopause. Right. You know, so. They've got Viagra and we exactly. got nothing. This is Three Women and a Bottle of Wine. Three friends. Three former TV reporters. And one bottle of wine. Delving into whatever interests us. News, not news. What affects our lives? Because it's probably affecting yours too. I'm Kim Inslee. I'm Lynn Melling. And I'm Julie Barkey. And now on with the pod. Welcome to Three Women and a Bottle of Wine. I'm Kim. And I'm Julie. And I'm Lynn. And with us for this segment is Dr. Annalisa Swigert from Southdale OBGYN. And why is she here? Because (laughs) whether you are 18 or 80, there's still a whole lot going on down there. There's a lot going on down there, yes. We're about to get really real. (laughs) Welcome, Dr. Swigert. First up, you're not just a Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine top doctor, which is pretty awesome in itself. You've embarked upon another journey, even more impressive. You are a mom of a teenage daughter, a teenage son. So all of this is kind of right in your wheelhouse, isn't it? That's right. And in fact, I had the wonderful opportunity to have a patient come see me who I had actually delivered. Oh, wow. So now I'm starting to take care of my patient's daughters, which is just fantastic. Well, isn't it great to graduate from medical school when you're 10? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, you can't see her, but trust us when we say that um, it's hard to believe. You look amazing. You preserve quite well. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start with teenagers then. Okay. A question that I've often wondered, when should a young woman start seeing an OBGYN? Well, I think that's a great question, and um, we've been doing a lot of work in our clinic talking to um, families and teenage girls about kind of doing that first teenage visit. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of girls and young women are so anxious about seeing an OBGYN because of the pelvic exam, and it's kind of scary, and to get undressed and feel vulnerable in front of someone that you don't know. But we usually start our teenage visits without an exam. It's a way to kind of get to know your doctor mm-hmm. and to create a trusting relationship. And I talk to teens about coming in somewhere between 16 and 18, if everything's going well, to start a conversation, to better understand what's normal, what's not normal with things like your period, Mm -hmm. what are your contraceptive options, what are things like plan B, um, how do you give safe consent, um, and understanding there's a trusted person to help you through that. So we will often start that relationship um, at that age. Obviously, there, we often see younger patients if there are issues, you know, if, if young girls are having issues with their period or other, you know, things down there, as you said, um, we certainly see um, patients down to age 12, actually, and even younger. So Dr. Swigert, as you know, teens do get so much information from their friends and from social media. Clearly not all of it is accurate. For example, you can't get pregnant when you kiss somebody. I had no idea. Really? (laughs) Or or from the toilet seat. I didn't know. (laughs) Although sometimes I feel like I do. But anyway, (laughs) what what are some of the myths that we can debunk right here? Well, um, we try to um, make sure that in debunking myths, we don't... um, help teenagers be too safe with sort of the choices that they make um so you know one question is what does we get a lot of questions about what does it mean or i know that teens talk about what does it mean to be a virgin and you have to have a certain kind of sex to still be a virgin Hmm. and what does it mean to get you know in terms of like you said getting pregnant and you know you do hear you know it just takes one it just takes one sperm that's actually a true fact you know right so that you can you know have intercourse or have um, 
close relations and put yourself at risk for that. You can put yourself at risk for all STDs without actually having intercourse or for most STDs. So I think I talk a lot to actually women of all ages hmm. that even close um, physical contact, you just need to make good choices and be uh, be cautious and understanding. Is there one though? It, it, did you hear something that just kind of blew your mind? Like how did this get out there? The one thing that always sticks in my mind, this actually is related to pregnancy because there's just like there is about the woman's body, there's quite a bit out there about um, about pregnancy and myths about pregnancy. But we did have a patient call once, extremely anxious and upset because um, she had swallowed her piece of gum and she was concerned that the gum was going to somehow strangle or get into the baby's hair. <laughs> into the hair? She was worried about oh, the oh, hair? Right. <laughs> Which just goes to show you that... Oh, bless her heart. Right. I mean, you know... And yeah. I mean, just the understanding of the anatomy of where their pregnancy is growing. Into, and you'd think that by the time someone is halfway through a pregnancy and in the clinic mm-hmm. that they would have a basic understanding. But I, it starts it starts honestly sometimes with basic anatomy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're, so your daughter is 15 years old, um, so well ahead of her time. So she's on the National Teen Council for Planned Parenthood. She serves as an educator for teens here in the metro, um, which I think... It's so empowering to see a young woman being ready and willing to have these conversations. Um, Do you think it's easier for teens to have these conversations and get this information if it's coming from another knowledgeable teenager? I definitely think it is. And I think that um, they can speak a language and answer questions and look at things in a way that we can't understand. And I think that um, they know the things that are scary and on teens' minds that we don't understand even mm-hmm. as parents or as, or as physicians or healthcare providers. You asked your daughter also earlier today, actually, Dr. Swigger, to, to tell you what she thought the issues were or the most important things for kids. And she gave you this beautiful quote, and I just would love for you to read it. Yes, I will. I did ask her, I said, what do you think is the biggest issue uh, in reproductive health facing teens today? I asked her, and this is what she responded. What we discuss at Teen Council ranges from acceptance and care for everybody, including in the LGBTQ plus community, to basic things like anatomy. I would say right now the most important issue is that so many teens don't have access to necessary information that they need to understand their body and themselves. Regardless of a person's race, ethnicity, economic state, gender identity, religious affiliation, everyone deserves non-biased education about their body and their choices. That's why Teen Council is so important. We are allowing teens to access this education through an organization that they can learn to trust and go to a necessary. Education shouldn't discriminate, and Teen Council makes that goal a reality. Wow. That's beautiful. So I know. <laughs> so for teens, who, because um, not all teenagers have access to that kind of information, whether it's because of their families or um, where they live, if it's in a rural area. So are there ways, are there places that you would recommend? So if a teenager or a parent or someone who's listening to this knows of a kid who needs access to information, are there any easy places that they can that they can go to? Well, I would say, you know, obviously, aside from, you know, health-informed websites such as, like, mayo.org, Planned Parenthood um, and the, uh, actually has a fantastic Instagram feed, um, and the Teen Council has an Instagram feed, and they post daily information about these exact ideas mm. and concepts. So, so much about um, Planned Parenthood is really about... Uh, women's health, but beyond that, everything that my daughter talked about, which is safe choices, understanding your body, um, self-respect, respecting 
yourself having others respect you. Yeah, that is girl power. That's Absolutely. Yeah. Dr. Swigert, can we jump up to my age group a little bit here? <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know, just these um, women in their late 40s, 50s, late 50s, early 60s even, as we're hitting that menopausal, premenopausal time frame, what are some of the changes we can expect? Things that we can't just necessarily read on WebMD. <laughs> well, I'm going to say I've started to tell my patients that being 47 is sort of like being 17 again, that hmm. all of a sudden everything you had right before your period, acne, breast tenderness, bloating, five pound weight gain, cranky, mad, angry, so crying, fun. Yes. right? We I have mean, to go through that honest, again? Are you kidding honestly, me? I mean, it's mm-hmm. these, hor- <laughs> these, these really sort of drastic hormone fluctuations and the physical <laughs> symptoms they cause are real. Oh, my son. Just had a little levity. At one point, I was so mad at him over something so stupid. He looked at me. He's like, I don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, there's a moment when yeah. I'm like, cake. Yeah. And you can't talk to a 17-year-old boy about menopause. <laughs> so quick question. Not unless you're an OBGYN. <laughs> right. <laughs> my poor son has to hear about everything. I So my question, back to acne. <laughs> but I have noticed that I'm starting to get acne around my face, like where a man would have a beard. I'm now getting breakouts. Are you pregnant? It, absolutely <laughs> not. No. No chance. But is that, I mean, hormones, it's like you just don't even expect these things. This has never ha- been a problem before. Yeah. So what's happening is instead of, you know, in our, in our late 20s and 30s, our hormones are going on in this nice sort of level, even keel, right? And we've got two hormones. We've got estrogen and progesterone. Those are the two female hormones. Mm-hmm. And as we get into our mid to late 40s, we start to have these more drastic fluctuations. So we'll have like a surge of progesterone, which can cause the acne that you're talking about or the bloating that women feel. And then you sort of have a drop in estrogen levels and you start getting the hot flashes. So it really is about um, the level of hormones. And progesterone, that particular hormone, is a cousin to androgen, which is a cousin to testosterone. And so Ah. um, that's where you get that androgenic effect of the progesterone. I'm Super. quite a fan of the little <laughs> stray hair that'll pop out yeah. that's never been well, there me, before. The, the one thing <laughs> we're getting real, right? <laughs> surprised me um, is just how long, like I'd never heard of perimenopause. And then this whole process takes forever. And as you and I were talking earlier, it also happens at the same time when holy hell is breaking out with your kids. You have aging parents, perhaps maybe a job change or you're getting back into the job market. It's just really hard and this we're talking more than a 10-year stretch in some cases aren't we you know it can be I, th- I think it's most pronounced probably 45 to 50 but I certainly have women at 40 coming in saying I'm feeling these hormone changes all of a sudden I'm having headaches I didn't have that before I you know am having the five pound weight gain right here and I didn't have that before so you're right for some women those hormone fluctuations last up to 10 years. For some women, they're a month. It's really variable. <laughs> and some <laughs> women are choosing to have babies <laughs> later. I know I have a surprise package who came at 42. So I had those post-baby hormones mixed with premenopausal hormones. It was the recipe for a perfect storm. <laughs> and I'm not the only one. There are a lot of women out there having their children in their late 30s, early 40s now. So how do they reconcile? Any suggestions on how how we can kind of navigate through this without drinking a lot of <laughs> Too wine. Too bad. More than yeah. one bottle. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're right. I, the women, lots of women having babies, you know, in that 35 to 40, but also a lot more women 40 and older than we ever have seen before. And you're right. They are facing different health challenges. Certainly very important to get exceptional prenatal care, I would say, because there's other risks to mom when you're pregnant at that age. Um, and you're right. I think women face other issues postpartum. We know that all women are at risk of postpartum depression and anxiety 
anxiety, but I think at that age, um, the adjustments are more pronounced. I think too, your own peer group isn't necessarily going through what you are. Mm -hmm. So I've heard from a lot of my patients having babies in their 40s. Where do they find that peer group of moms that are actually understanding what they're understanding? Many of those moms may have much older children, maybe it's a second marriage, or maybe it's actually their first baby and they want their peer group to talk to about breastfeeding and what kind of car seat do I buy and you know which preschool do I go to and on the opposite side of that then there's women who are struggling with infertility who um, have been trying to conceive um, what are you noticing in terms of trends there's so many more um, options out there for treatment of this but I'd love to know your thoughts on um, you know for listeners who might be struggling with infertility any words of wisdom for them well I think that um a lot of women out there hear this number 35 and that sort of become this sort of weird number where, oh my God, I'm 35, I haven't had a baby yet. And that is a, is a number that came out of um, genetic tests and insurance coverage um, back in the 80s. So sort of that, that is not really like a hard and fast age. So I think a lot of women focus so much on that age. But what I do tell women is it is true that from 20 to 40, every single year, your fertility declines a little bit and the miscarriage rate goes up a little bit. It doesn't drastically change at 35, but it, it, it continues to change. I think the most important thing, no matter what your age is, have a conversation sooner than later with your doctor. Sometimes women think they're having issues with fertility and they're not, but having a good solid checkup, getting all your questions answered, um, you know, understanding what you can and can't get from say a fertility app. I have lots of patients using fertility apps. Um, I think the science for helping women get pregnant is phenomenal right now and it's changed a lot even since I entered medicine and even in our own community we have lots of options for women and so getting in to see your primary care provider who can help get you to the right place. Um, egg freezing is sort of the new thing on the horizon that we're all hearing a lot about. I think you know we don't know yet what is the data going to tell us if you freeze your eggs and 15 years later try to use one mm. we don't really know that yet but that mm. technology is there so it's really it's always about as much knowledge as you can have mm -hmm. what are all of my options what do i need to do so i can make the best informed decision for myself another thing that you've noticed over the years is that our definition of families are changing a lot you talked uh, earlier your doctor was uh, your daughter was talking about lbgdq lgbtq uh, people, you have couples who are same-sex couples who are trying to get pregnant or they have a surrogate. Speak to that a little bit about how we how we include everybody in this health issue and having a family and, and being good parents and being healthy if you're trying to be a parent. Well, that's a great question. I think I really um, pride myself on our clinic and all of our healthcare providers because what we tell our patients is there are many definitions of family and everyone defines family in their own way and that could be a male and a female married or not married two women two men or even a, a single woman or even a single man who in all of these itinerations of family want to have a healthy baby and so my job again almost going back to the same fertility question how can we help get you all the resources information that you need so that you can have a healthy family and we're helping couples with um, finding donor sperm um, with inseminations with um, helping support same-sex couples as they navigate um, you know the legal system navigate things mm -hmm. such as who's going to give the baby the first bottle over at the hospital mm -hmm. um, we provide compassionate and safe care and we don't judge I mean I, I really go back to there are so many definitions of family yeah. and I'm always telling my kids that too 
I love it. So can I loop it back to my age group again? <laughs> I want to uh, talk course, about Julie. sex. <laughs> Let's talk about sex, especially as women are, are entering this menopausal stage. Some women lose their sex drive. You know, how do you counsel them? And what can people do to, to try to make sure their sex drive is intact if they so want it to be? That's a great question. And I get asked that all of the time from women that are 40 to women that are 70. And... Um, you know, again, when we get into this perimenopause discussion and our hormones changing and life stressors, mm. I mean, studies have shown libido in women is very complex. Mm. You know, it's not like men where you can give them a Viagra yeah. and then right. all of a sudden we're good to go, right? So um, studies that have looked at, you know, pharmaceuticals for libido for women have not been very successful because it's it's very complicated. So it's about women feeling um, focused and safe and relaxed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, being healthy, healthy eating, exercise. Uh, along with libido, though, there's other changes that happen in menopause. And some of those changes that are due to our lack of estrogen can actually make sex painful. So mm -hmm. women who had a great sex life and maybe even still have a great libido are now dealing with issues of painful intercourse. So that's something that we uh, have a lot of treatment options for in our clinic. Um, everything from, you know, lubricants to estrogen to a laser to help... Um, improve the tissue functioning in the vagina hmm. it's called the mona lisa laser really oh, yeah really candace bushnell wrote about it in her new book you know she's author <laughs> sex it. in the city yeah uh -huh. she, she has a new book out it's like is there still sex in the city fantastic <laughs> book if you guys haven't read it and there's an entire chapter about women dealing with painful intercourse because of low estrogen levels hmm. i would argue that um, maybe the equivalent to viagra for many of us women is just seeing your partner at the kitchen sink with a dish towel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Men, if you're listening, take that note. That is foreplay. Yeah. Oh, 100%. That leads to another topic, though, and that is couples aren't always on the same page when it comes to the, their libido, right? What are you and talking about, Kim? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, if, if you're going through menopause or, you know, it's just not always the same. That's right. And so there mm -hmm. has to be a lot of communication, I would assume. Yeah, there's a lot of communication and it kind of it's sort of the same thing you face when you have a new baby too and you're the mom and you're exhausted and you're breastfeeding and you just don't want to have sex <laughs> mm -hmm. and actually your estrogen levels are low then too and sure. it's about you know making time communicating feeling respected and you know what i tell women um there's nothing wrong with you i mean a lot of women no matter what age they are they they fear something's wrong with them mm -hmm. if their libido is not where they think it should be and sometimes it's just really talking through what's going on in your life right now how can you make changes to feel safe and respected and rested and and happy and content and just giving women the the support to realize there's nothing wrong yeah and there's nothing wrong with reading 50 shades of gray if it helps <laughs> Boost your libido. Oh, watch the movie. Yeah, it, whatever. It wasn't takes. as good as the book. What misconceptions? <laughs> There's other good movies too, by the way. <laughs> Aren't there a lot of misconceptions about? Let Let's jump up another generation. You know, 70s, 80s, beyond. I mean, seniors want to be healthy and active, and I've heard that STDs can be a problem in amongst elders. How do you do you counsel a lot of people of that age group? What kind of questions do you get? You know, I, I, well, I think we could be talking about there's like the 70 and 80 year olds. And um, I think that are um, living in different kinds of like group communities, maybe where they're just kind of redefining, you know, what they do with their time and who they spend time with if their life partner is no longer, you mm -hmm. know, with them. And I think, um, you know, most STDs are not 
I'm going to say a significant health risk in that particular population. I think then there's the population of women, say, in their late 40s or early 50s who maybe their life is changing and they're having new partners or, th- or, or new experiences and they ha- are having to think back to their 20s and mm-hmm. wondering, am I at risk? And to, th- and to women in that age group who are also still possibly facing the risk of an unplanned pregnancy, I do have to go back and have the discussions mm-hmm. about, okay, here's what you're at risk for, here's what you can do to prevent it. You know, yes, you should be using condoms. Yes, you should be using birth control. Um, you know, here are the symptoms where you need to come and see us if something's going on. Because it's not just about, oh, you can't get pregnant anymore, so don't worry about it. Right. Exactly. There's other stuff. So I want to ask you, your title is OBGYN. Everybody seems to focus on those baby-bearing years. Do you no longer need to see an OB once you're postmenopausal? At, no, I would argue women should see me for their entire life. I mean, again, a woman's body just I doesn't. I would. I think you're cool. <laughs> I mean, you know, think about it. Like, who do you? It, uh, is your cardiologist going to do your Pap smear? No, I mean, <laughs> women absolutely. Still. I went to an internist, <laughs> and he he was like, "Okay, breast cancer. You have your gynecologist handle that for you." He's like, he didn't want to touch anything. <laughs> that thought never even occurred to me that anybody else would do those those well, particular I exams own, yeah. just, i mean it's it was part huh. of the, if you get a physical right sure. and he didn't want to go there well and we and we're primary care for a lot of women especially younger women who frankly really their main health issues are going to be reproductive health you know their periods breast cancer screening so we do a lot of primary care for healthy women but even for women in their 60s and beyond it is so important to get a well woman exam um, you know, I have found numerous cancers in women in that age group. Um, yes. You know, other health issues that may go unrecognized, symptoms that they cannot even articulate or don't feel safe articulating to another doctor. So, you know, we certainly support having a woman see an OBGYN every year for a well woman exam. Wouldn't you have a better option of finding an ovarian cancer maybe than ovarian cancer, vaginal cancer, vulvar cancer, bladder cancer, um, breast cancer, obviously. So it's important. All right. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, the final flight. Three Women and a Bottle of Wine is supported by 515 Productions. 515 Productions is a video production business with base camps in Minneapolis and Des Moines, Iowa. Ian, who's so great, and his crew understand the art of creative storytelling. And they know how to make video look really, really good. Learn more at 515productions.com. Our logo was created by Aaliyah DeSalt, a creativity guru offering art workshops to everyone from business executives to book clubs because we all have untapped creative potential just waiting to be unleashed. You can find her contact information on our website. You can stay up to date on our podcast by checking out our website, threewomenandabottleofwine.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find behind-the-scenes photos and, of course, much, much more. Be sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, for our final flight. This is the time we have when we take a little bit of time, have some fun with our guests. Three quick questions to help us learn a little bit more about you. So the first question, I understand that you love to travel. What's your ideal vacation and why? I do love to travel. I just got back from the Riviera on Sunday. And my ideal vacation is going somewhere and really experiencing life there. You know, know, eating the food with the locals, talking to the locals, walking down the street, walking into little storefronts. Um, 
I was in Haiti for a mission trip about a year and a half ago, and one of my favorite things was just walking through the streets, you know, talking to the people, tasting their food. And so, you know, whether it's Western Europe or whether it's South America or Asia or even, you know, developing country, um, just living that life, living the life of the people in another place. Love that. Sounds amazing. And she's fluent in French, I must add. <sighs> yes, we, I feel very <laughs> insignificant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is one of the stranger misconceptions you've heard about women and the reproductive health? Well, I will say I've been practicing a long time. I'm not <laughs> going to say how long. Cause, you know, <laughs> but I have gotten so many unusual questions, so many unusual stories. Um, Many of them, I will say, came out of a residency when, you know, you're kind of in your training and you're really in the trenches seeing patients, you know, 36 hours a week. But we did see a couple in our infertility clinic who were having trouble getting pregnant and they couldn't get pregnant. And so it was my job as, um, you know, like the first year resident to sort of do that initial evaluation, sort of starting to ask kind of some basic questions. And what ended up coming out of that conversation was they were trying to get pregnant through the wrong hole. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I felt like such a good doctor. I I could fix their problem. (laughs) With a couple little anatomic diagrams, I I helped them get pregnant. What was their reaction to that? (laughs) And a career started. (laughs) It was sort of like, I think it was like the 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 male and the couple was sort of kind of pretty nice. Uh, you know, like I sort of wondered if maybe he actually knew, but <laughs> you know, I'm thinking she sent you flowers after yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe named her firstborn after you. Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, speaking of getting pregnant, then uh, we hear a lot of a lot of things. So, lastly, are there any really tried and true ways true ways for women who are at their due date who want to get that baby? moving out because we hear a lot of things well there are a lot of old wise tales and a lot on social media about all the different things you can do raspberry leaf tea and tonic water and garlic (laughs) but there is actually scientific evidence that supports having sex can definitely cause labor to start thank god you said that but so but (laughs) now sometimes i say that to couples and the woman's out to here yeah she's all for it it's the you know it's the dad that's like yeah what, what did you, what did you say? <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm gonna, aren't I going to hit the baby's head or something? You know, it's like, no, I promise you're so not going to hurt the baby. Take one for the team, dude. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are never dropping final flights from these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dr. Swigert, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, Dr. Annalisa Swigert, and you're with Southdale OBGYN. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Thank you. Thank you. Thank this you so much. Fun. This has been a blast. It's Great like I conversation. Said this was so fun. I was telling him I want to do this every week. We've got to have available. a part two. We've got to have a part two. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. <laughs>